Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together, church. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come to you with words like those in Psalm 13, that you welcome us when we come to you with our cries, with our confusion and our sufferings. We ask, Lord, that you would open our minds and our ears to the work that you are doing around us and in us. Help us to rest, Lord, in your steadfast love and to listen for your voice that reassures us of your presence and your comfort. We lift up the pastor as he speaks this morning that you would guide his words to be only your truth. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning. What's up, Livingstone? It's good to be here with you. I am Mark and Pastor Origin Church in Sacramento, and uh, this is exciting. I'm just I'm glad to be here, and uh, we have, I have a long history and relationship with Livingstones, and especially Kyle. and uh, And we go far back as I was on a I was on Kyle's assessment team to come into Acts 29, and so uh, you're welcome. Unless you've been looking for someone to blame, uh, then uh, that's somebody else. So, but no, I, we go way back. Although I got to be honest, um, I love this brother. I love him so much. Uh, but I've never worshipped next to him. And uh, he worships like it's the floor of a Ramones concert. Um, it, it's like a mosh pit up here. I don't know if you notice that. I understand why it's so clear up here. I was like, I'm going to get up there bruised. This is going to go bad. I'm dodging. Uh, anyway, yeah. I, I really do love your pastor. And what's neat is um, I've known you from afar for years as we've partnered in ministry together. I've just, I've heard of you. I've heard of your faithfulness. I've heard of your love for Jesus. I've heard of what God has done in this church. And, and it is a thrill for me to be here with you. And so thank you for letting me be here. And a, and a couple things just so you can get to know me. Um, and I love Jesus with all of my heart. My my, my hope, my ultimate hope uh, in my best days, because I fail at it every day, is to make much of Jesus and hide behind the cross. My hope uh, is that at the end of this sermon, you will not see me and everything that I have talked about, but you'll see Jesus. That's what I want. So I, I follow Christ with all of my heart. I'm passionate. I'm thankful for a father that taught me how to be zealous for Jesus um, almost at any cost, and I'm thankful for that upbringing. Secondly, I'm a husband. This August is 20 years. And yeah, woo, I, so I'm, I'm excited about that. We're hoping to get to Hawaii, so praise God. And uh, 
20 years. And uh, there's, there's high school sweethearts. We're elementary sweethearts. I met her in sixth grade. And I know, I know, I know, points, points. And she was beautiful, and I wanted to marry her, and uh, she didn't want to marry me. So it was rough. We got together at, six, at, in six, at 16, graduated college, got married, and uh, it's been amazing. Best friend, BFF for life. And then uh, father, you saw my kids. Um, they, they look like me, and so they're amazing. And... And we, so I have a 15-year-old, that's our oldest girl, and then a 13-year-old boy who's taller than me, um, and I'm not happy about that. And then, uh, and then when we planted Origin Church 10 years ago, we got diagnosed with twins. So, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. And then, uh, and so, yeah, so Christ follower, uh, husband, father, and I'm a pastor. I love God's church. Um, grew up in a Christian family back in urban Long Beach in Southern California um, and met, met Jesus there and resisted Jesus there and then called into ministry and I, I wanted nothing to do with the church. And one of the most profound miracles other than being saved and forgiven of my sin is that I fell in love with the church because uh, I grew up in churches that were uh, just broken. And every every church is, but it just seems these were really, really broken places where I just, I didn't see Jesus. I just saw people and arguments and fractures. And so then when I was called the pastor, I resisted. I was like, no, no way. I don't want that. I don't want any part of it. And God later broke my heart. And I love the church and I love pastoring. And then the last thing you need to know about me is bacon. No, no amen right there? No amen? Amen? Anybody? All right. Now we know we got some Christians in the house. All right. That's me in a nutshell. The other thing that probably be good for you to know, and, it, and it, it drives us to the passage this morning, is I'm not very patient at times. Anybody else struggle with being patient? Right? We don't like to wait for things. Um, you know, and I, and I blame Amazon Prime. I just do. Amazon, Amazon Prime has just ruined us, right? I mean, back in the day, you'd order something, be like 14 days later, it would show up, you'd be like, surprise, like Christmas every two weeks, you know, something like that. And then Amazon came in and they're like, two days shipping. And then now I've ordered it, it's one click buy, and then I'm, I'm literally looking at the status of my order, knowing it's gonna come in two days, right? And then it comes in two days, and even now, two days is not long enough, and I'm praying for the drones. I'm praying for the drone. One day shipping, three-hour shipping, it's going to happen. And I, Amazon Prime's ruined us. drive throughs have ruined us, right? Uh, we just want instant gratification. We don't want to wait for things. Um, but so much of life is about waiting. And the rub between following Jesus and the rest of our living, it comes in conflict in this area of waiting. Because God has designed life since the fall, but, but it was also in, integral into the design before the fall that we would be waiting people, waiting on God, just yearning and, and going, God, what, what do you want? When do you want it? What do I need? And we were meant to be connected to the Lord in such a way. And the great thing about when, when in our first parents, we were still righteous, 
is that we just joyfully waited on God. Adam and Eve walked with the Lord in a special way, and they just waited on God. We're even told that God comes, walks in the garden in the cool of the evening. They're just waiting on God every day. Where, where, he's going to come. And then, and then everything broke. And one of those things that broke is our patience. And as technology and everything else has grown faster and more effective, sometimes it feels like to us that Christianity is lagging far behind. Where's, where's prime sanctification? Where's prime being made into the image of God? One, one like, I showed up to church, God, where are you? Right? But we were made to be creatures that are dependent upon God. And we've lost our desire to wait. And so then David prays this prayer. And you can feel it and I can feel it. And he starts out, he starts out this prayer with this phrase, how long, O Lord? And he's not talking about Amazon Prime. Right? How long, O oh Lord? He's talking about something far deeper. We, we wrestle when our package is late. David is wrestling with suffering, heartache, loss, grief, confusion. And he's crying out this prayer, how long, God? And he's wrestling with the idea of being patient inside this very broken existence that he's in. And so he brings us into this prayer. And I think this is a prayer we all need to learn to pray. And, and we know the Psalms are, is a songbook of the first church of God's people. They sang the Psalms. And, and the Psalms include, their songs included grief, loss, pain, confusion, waiting, wondering. And it's a psalm that I think we need to learn to sing. How long, O Lord, he starts in verse 1. How long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Let's just put David in the best estimation that we can into context. Um, There's either one or two of two things happening here. It's not really clear where he's at in his life, the most, likely, the most likely conclusion is that he was captured by the Philistine army and, uh, and he, had to, he had to surrender there and he's facing uncertainty, potentially the uncertainty of his own life. He's being held captive. He's not exactly sure how, where it's gonna go from here. And so he's in all, all kinds of hardship and suffering. He's being mistreated, and it's going for a, a long season. It's a protracted period. It's how long, God? You, you get that, that sense of just time. God, what are you doing in this? And so then David leads us into what's called a lament. We would look at it as this is, a sad song. This is a heartfelt song. David laments. Here's, here's what we learn right off the bat about lament. Lament is the normal process of walking our lives out with God. See, we have, don't, isn't it weird? We have this idea that everything should kind of always be going up. We just buy into this lie that it's always climbing. And if it's not climbing, then something's wrong. 
So if like if I'm if I feel angst about my spiritual life or if I'm if I'm not growing in the steps that I want to grow or if Jesus doesn't feel real to me and I'm struggling and and I'm I'm like working through doubt we often feel like maybe something's broken with me. But David, David is a man after God's heart. David is anointed as king. David was what had songs, right? Some people killed their hundreds. David had victory over tens of thousands. David knew how to celebrate before God. David was God's chosen king. Wouldn't it be, I mean, wouldn't it be great if any of us had that kind of status? And yet, look what happens. In light of being selected by a prophet, by God, in spite of being anointed, in spite of being elevated, in spite of having tangible evidence that, that he is God's and God's is his, what does he do? He, he laments. But it doesn't matter in any part of our journey. Lament doesn't mean something's broken. Lament is part of the journey of working out our life and as a creature and God's work as a creator. And I just love that. David teaches us how to lament, and it's a normal part of the Christian life. We're not Emmett, you know, where we're supposed to walk around like, everything is awesome. You know, like that's, we're not Emmett. But then think about the songs that we often most sing in churches. They're very, they're very big, glorious, they're uphill, it's victory. Woo, we love that. And sometimes I feel like we're just trying to convince ourselves of something and not really taking our world very seriously. Lament is a way that Christians work out their walking with Jesus in a way that takes our real suffering seriously. And David brings us right into it. And so, lament. And he has this nuance. Look how he he breaks it down. He asks this general question, how long, O Lord? And then he breaks down the nuances because we're all kind of waiting on God in different ways. And you see the fullness here. Will you forget me? Do you even remember me, God? And then the second one, how long will you hide your face from me? Has anybody felt like God is just not even looking at you? Do you ever feel like God is busy doing other things or helping other people? And he's hiding your face. He's hiding his own face from you. He won't even look at you. You might even feel so much interior shame about your own life. You don't even think that God would want to look at you. Or how long must I take counsel in my own soul? Has has anybody called out to the Lord? God, help me. Help me understand. Help me know where to go. Help me make a decision. Help me move. And yet we're all we get is silence. It's like God's not even willing to talk to us. And then, and then what do we have to do? We have to come up with our best plans. And, and there's anxiety there. And we're like, God, I don't, how long do I have to try to make something work? I, I want you to do it, but you won't do it. And so I'm trying to make it work, and it always seems to fall apart. How long must I take counsel in my own soul and have sorrow all day long? And then this last one, how long shall the enemy be exalted? exalted over me. Have have you ever struggled with the flourishing of other people when it seems like God really wants other people to flourish, but not you? That's a rough one. 
Lament takes these things seriously. And there's been a grace in my life. I feel like God has led me through a life of lament. The Psalms is about 70% lament. 70% of the songs they're singing are taking grief and sadness and suffering seriously. About 70% of maybe my life has been lament. When I was when I was in college, I was a college athlete and I was um, active and I mean, you know, I mean, you know I'm in shape. You could see me. So cuz pairs of shape. So But I was a college athlete and I was active and I ran in high school, ran in college and then one day when I was 19, 20, I woke up and I couldn't walk. I had this extreme tightness and pain and this overwhelming fatigue that came over my body and and I was scared to death. I couldn't really get out of bed. I, I couldn't get any muscle to muster walking. I was in such excruciating pain. I went to the hospital and, uh, and they gave me some steroids and they knew there was some inflammation, but they weren't sure where it was from. And then uh, over the next day or two on the steroids, I began to get free again. And I was like me. And that began to happen three times over that next year. Until the third time, it never returned. The third time I woke up and, uh, and, the, and the pain was so severe and the fatigue was so severe and there was nothing they can do. And essentially in just a short amount of weeks, I turned into a 90-year-old man. I was hunched over. I lost complete movement of my spine and my neck. I couldn't hold my arms over my shoulders. I couldn't drive. I couldn't turn my head. I couldn't look up. I couldn't look to the side. I would sleep 10 to 12 hours a day. And if I wasn't sleeping, I was trying to work full-time in ministry. I was losing my life. We were a few years into marriage. 2004, my daughter was born. And uh, she was born pretty little, about six pounds. When we brought her home, I had neither the strength or the ability to lift her out of her own crib while she cried. I would sit on a couch and Christy would bring my brand new baby girl and sit her on my arms as I sat in a couch, and that's all I could muster. Six years went by, and I, I, I by all intended purposes, became paralyzed. And the doctors just kept shoving medicine and couldn't tell me what was going on. And then through a providential event, and, and I won't get into here, but just God working, I got a diagnosis of a disease that is an autoimmune disease of my spine. My body is literally attacking the soft tissue up and down my spine until it turns into bone and fuses. Right now I have eight fused vertebrae. Pain all day long. People, so, uh, maybe Kyle asked me earlier this weekend um, what, it, what it's like. I, I, I experience the flu symptoms three times a day when my anti-inflammatories wear out and I get body aches, extreme fatigue. I feel like I'm going to get sick until the next set of medicine kicks in at about 50 minutes later. Every day. And that's, that's, that's part of, that's not even the deepest pain. The deepest pain is that I had dreams and desires and aspirations to be a father that, that I didn't experience. I wanted to be a very present dad. I wanted to be with my kids. I wanted to play. I wanted to wrestle. I wanted to be active. I wanted to 
snowboard and surf, and I was doing all of those things growing up. And one by one, I had to give those things up. I'll tell you that the deepest pain of my disease is sitting on a bench at an amusement park watching my kids ride roller coasters while I wait there for them. That's the deepest cut, that I can't be the dad that I wanted to be and feel like I failed them physically. And then all kinds of weird things. Last June, I went swimming with my kids, and I try to be as active as I can, and I often kind of forget that I have this disease, and I broke my back. And I was out for six weeks because the fused areas of my spine are pretty brittle. I've just had to give up a lot. And I, I don't, I'm saying these things because I, I want you to, to see what it's like to walk these things through. Not because I want to elevate myself, but I have learned a great deal. And maybe the, the, the most fruitful seasons of my life with Jesus has been in tears and pain and suffering and loss. And when David says, how long, oh God, how long, Lord? And I'm looking at other people and they're flourishing, they're doing fine. And sometimes in the bitterness of my heart, I'm like, God, they're not even Christians. They don't serve you. They don't love you. I've given my whole life to you and you allow them to run and be active. Meanwhile, I'm falling apart. Those are my prayers. Oh, Lord, how long will they flourish and be exalted over me? Lament is part of our walk with Christ. And it has been the most precious part of my walk with Jesus. And and, and God has done so much in me through it. But I get these prayers. And I think whether you have my disease or not, you can get these prayers. But what does David really praying? What am I really praying? Look at how he starts this whole thing. How long, oh Lord. You might notice in your, in your Bible, the word Lord there is all capitalized. That's because that, that stands for a Hebrew word, Yahweh. It's the covenant name of God. And so when David is praying, you got to see right in the beginning is he's going, how long, oh covenantal God. How long, oh, promising God, right? So then the the thing behind his lament starts with just this reality. God, are, are your promises believable? The heart of David's lament, and I think the heart of all of our laments and, and mine, is, God, where are your promises? Isn't it true that we read the scripture and we're like, God talks about new, and God talks about freedom, and joy, and grace, and and good news and all of this. And, and sometimes in our life, we're like, I'm not experiencing any of those things. And we question God in our laments. God, how long will you hold your promises? And can I believe in your promises? Are they believable? I know you. I've been taught about you, God. I, I've read your word. I've listened to sermons. I've, I've been under great preaching. I know you're a great God. My question is, is when are they going to come about? That's the heart of our lament. And that's the heart of our waiting, by the way. Notice this. David isn't praying why. You got to know this. You got to write this down. Circle it. 
He says, how long? He doesn't say, why, oh God? You notice that? Why is that? Because David knows that the covenant is going to come about. His issue is just the timing. And for the Christian, it is not a matter of if, but when. And our lament is struggling with God's timing. And at the same time, it's a surrender to the reality that this is going to change and God's promises are going to come. And so it's not, why God? That's, that's, that's a hard-hearted kind of lament. How could you do this to me, God? Don't you know how special, important, I thought you were a God of love. I thought you had all the power in the world. So either you have no power or you have no love, which is why this thing is happening in my life. David calls us back to the covenantal God and the wrestle is not so much in the why, but in the how long. And when the Christian laments, he or she laments with an expectation. Now it's hard to wait, but we're waiting because it, will come. This body will not remain this way. This brokenness will not stay. The hardship and hurt in your life and the wounds from others, the sin that people have sinned against you, the homes you've grown up in, the loss that you've experienced in loved ones or in marriage, God is coming to make all things new and we're wrestling with timing, but we know it's not a matter of if, but when. So then David takes us. If you know it's a win, then you can come to God with incredible boldness and make an appeal. And I love this second part because maybe we're a little nervous about how we approach God, but but we're told in Hebrews, approach the throne of grace with boldness and confidence. And, And you can only do that if you know it's a throne of grace. God's like, look, I love you. I care for you. I've I've died for you. I've made you mine. Come to me and ask me. Come to me, approach me, appeal to me, be bold in it. And I love this. Look at how David prays in his lament. He doesn't mince words. He's not like, okay, God, well, you know, if it so happened to be your will, if you could just do it, I know, uh, I know, but if you consider, if you have the time, what's he say? Consider and answer me. See what David prays there? Boldness. It's almost contemptible. And I think God loves it because he's a God of grace and he loves his people. And we're, what are we told in James? We're like, we're told through James, through the Holy Spirit, that there are things in your life you do not have because you have not boldly asked for it. There is ways that God wants to work in you and has, a, has grace to do so and the willing heart. And he's just like, I just, I want you to be like a kid who just comes to his dad and asks. You can have, you can have it all. I just want you to wait on me. I I want you to to work it through with me. I want you to know that it comes from me. So you don't have, not because I don't love you and I don't want you to have, but because you you haven't asked me for it. That's how the sovereignty of God works itself out. It's Listen, it's not only that God is sovereign, it's that God has sovereignly ordained the way in which he's going to be sovereign. And the way he's going to be sovereign is through our praying. Come on now. I'm preaching now. So we don't have because we don't ask. David is not afraid. He's like, he stands up before God. Answer me, God. Come on. 
I'm in a jail. I'm in the Philistines' hands. I'm facing the end here. You anointed me as king. What's going on with your promises? How long are you going to last? Answer me, God. That's the, the, the emotion behind it. And I know all of us have prayed those prayers in the car with the windows up, driving along, and we're like yelling out to God. But when we get into the church or we get into a small group, we're like, oh, I better shut that down. I don't, I don't want to come across as that person. We're wrestling with God. Bring it to the community and bring it to the Lord, right? Let, let God, God's a big guy. He, he can defend himself. I, I have these conversations where it's like, yeah, I know. This is what the Bible says about God. He's a big dude. He can take care of it. I don't have to defend him. I don't have to feel like I have to make him palatable. This is who he is, and he can defend himself. So if there's a desire, if there's an appeal in your suffering, cry out to God with it. He's a God of grace. And so David makes this appeal. I love this appeal so much, and there's so much nuance to it, but look at this. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I've prevailed over them. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. I love this. The, the last part of that prayer, and James says, you don't have and you don't ask. And when you ask, you use it on your own passions. Right? That's the problem. We're not using it on the passion of Christ. We're using it for ourselves. And here's David, and I love this prayer because he's not praying. He's not praying self-centered passions. Notice he doesn't say, consider and answer me, God. Oh, Lord. Get me out of here. <laughs> he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, like, what are you doing? Are you, are, you even, are you even real? Like, he doesn't say that. He goes, give me something to see. Give me light in my eyes so that I can see that thing and remain in this situation and be okay, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He's not talking about real death there. But the kind of thing that it where it's like, God, if you don't come through, I'm a goner. You ever been in those moments? God, if you don't do what you need to do, I'm, I'm lost. And then he prays the second prayer. And this is a great prayer. Lest my enemy prevail. He's literally going, Lord, the Philistines, you don't want them to move forward. You don't want their doubt and their hard-heartedness and their their idolatry and their God, their, their God's worship. You don't, you don't want that to prevail. God, do something so that you can be made known and your glory can be seen. Isn't that a great prayer? See, David prayer, David prays these amazing prayers, and I think there's a couple things we can pull from them. They're not self-centered, they're God-centered prayers, aren't they? God, give me something to see while I'm in here. He doesn't ask to be let out. Give me just give me sight. God, do something so that you get glory. Man. These are amazing prayers. In, in, in my darkest moments, I wrestle with God with prayers like, God, don't you know that if I didn't have this disease, I would be a better dad? God, if I didn't have this disease, I'd be a better father. God, if I didn't have the struggles and I, I could, I, I would be a better pastor. And I, I, and I think those are all really good prayers. God, I want to be a present dad, father, pastor. 
I, I want to accomplish some things. I want your glory to be profound. I, I, I want to give all my life to it. I, and I, if I had more energy and more time and more availability and I didn't have this disease and I wasn't sitting around for six weeks last year waiting for my spine to heal, that God, I could do something for you. That's great prayers. And God said, no. In fact, no. You're going to be a better pastor because of this. You're going to be a better dad because of this. You are going to do more for the kingdom of God because of this. My glory will be way more profound because of this. He says, no. And, and here's what I think is amazing. If David prayed prayers that were self-focused, we might write this off and we might say, see, of course God didn't answer his prayers of lament because they were bad prayers. But they were good prayers. And God didn't answer them. Why? Because God is not waiting for you to get the formula right so that he can start working in your life. It is not about the prayer. It is not about the religious formula. It is not about the Hail Mary. It is, it is not about the doing. God is working underneath all of that. God is not picky over our formula of prayer. He just wants us to appeal. He just wants us to come to him. He just wants us to wait on him. He just wants us to get what we have from him and to acknowledge it. He's not waiting for us to pray the right prayer. And if God would have worked right here after David prayed the right prayer, then we can say, hey, make sure you pray the right prayer. Have a good day. But you can pray the right prayer. You can have the right heart. You can have the right desires. You, you can come to the Lord and go, God, I just really want you to be seen. And God's still like, no. Wait. Wait. I uh, made the mistake just seeing the movie Trial by Fire. Anybody seen Trial by Fire? Exactly. It's a true story of a uh, Texas inmate that was falsely accused of triple homicide, murdering his three children, put into prison on death row. Um, I mean, I, I won't give away spoilers. It's an actual news thing, so, you know, it's not like uh, in game. you know. We know what happens. But let me just tell you, it is the most depressing movie of all time. <laughs> like, if that's your first date, your relationship's going nowhere. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> that's it. That's the day. That's it. This was a two-hour relationship. All right. It is a depressing movie. And, uh, and, but, however, one of the things I like about it is that it's, it's depressing because life doesn't get tied up with unicorns and, and ribbons and bows, right? And, uh, and it is a depressing, depressing movie, and there's no redemption. And you walk out of that theater, and I felt horrible. I, I didn't really know what to do with it, and there was zero redemption. One of the things in the movie is there's six appeals in order to get off death row. And he ends up using all six over 12 years. And after those appeals, then it's over. There's nothing you can do. And it, it really struck me in this passage is that we, God's like, appeal to me. But then what? What if you are waiting on God? You're doing your best. How long, God? I know your promises will come. I'm just waiting, but it's hurting. I don't know if I can hold on. And then you're appealing to God, God, please do something in my life. If you don't come through, I'm gone. 
I'm on death row here. And what if you seek after God, wait on God, appeal to God, and all of your appeals are met with silence? And then you, you, you face the end. David says, you can still sing. Look at this word, but. Somebody say but. But. Say it like you mean it. But. We like the word but. I walked into the devotional and uh, Pastor Shea was like, I like biblical buts. I'm like, all right. He was leading a little devotion out of this passage. I'm like, all right. We like us some biblical buts. I got it. You've sought after God. God has been silent. It looks like he's hiding his face from you. It looks like you're lost. It looks like he doesn't care. It looks like everybody else is flourishing over you. It looks like all of your appeals have been met with silence. And David says, but, but in spite of all of that, and that's real, God is silent. God has, in some sense, chosen not to give you those things. God is desiring and designing and decreeing all things for your sake. Now, he's present. There's no doubt about that. But he may allow himself to not feel present so that he can work something up in your heart and life. But he's there. But the idea that he feels like he's not is true. And when you cry out, and you might have prayed the same prayer 10,000 times for healing in somebody in your life who has Cancer to a broken marriage to your own spouse to drug abuse, drug abuse and addiction, whatever it might be. You've been asking God, please take these things from me. And he meets you with silence in the meantime. You can still sing. But look at what David does. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. Come on. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. Covenant name. See how he's holding on from beginning to end? Covenant name. I will sing to the covenant God. I will sing to him because he has dealt bountifully with me. David reminds us in any other context, in any other place, in any other belief system, you have no reason to sing. But in Christ, in God, in his promises, you can sing. And you only need two things. And these three, these three things that David points us to is pointing to really two kind of greater categories. One, the only thing you need is the word of God. My Bible. Somebody say my Bible. That's all you need. All you need is the word of God. Do you know where... David is getting steadfast love, Deuteronomy. Do you know where he's getting salvation and the promises and the covenant God? The Bible. He only had the Old Testament at that point. Do you know where he's getting? You've dealt bountifully with me. He's not talking about personal experience. He's talking about covenantal promises that have come from the word of God. You can sing. Why? Because God's written a Bible for you. God's written himself into it because that's the second part. All you need is the word of God and the nature of God that that word is about. You see that? He goes to the word of God and what does he find? Steadfast love. Oh God, I'm at the end. 
you're quiet, you're silence, you're behind the clouds, it's gray. But I'm told you love me. And your love is steadfast. You're after me. You're with me. You're for me. You love me. And then he goes, my heart will rejoice in your salvation. So I can rejoice. Why? Because I know the salvation you've written in your word. That you're a God who saves and not rejects. You're a God that will not keep anybody from you. One of the, one of the, one of the greatest promises of all time. At the end, when Jesus comes and restores all things to himself, if you're in Christ, he will not forget you. It doesn't matter what you've walked through. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. He will not forget you. You can sing, not because your circumstances are different, but because you know he will not forget you. That's his nature. He's a a God who saves people. He's a God who goes for people, loves people, brings people into himself. Not to condemn. You're condemned already in yourself. God's not there to condemn you. He didn't send Jesus to put it in your face and point it, his finger at you. He came to save you. That's his nature. And then I will sing. Why? Because he's dealt bountifully with me. It means whatever your circumstances are, if you have Christ, you have everything. Listen to Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? What are the, these things? Suffering. Back diseases, cancer, broken marriage, loss, grief, wayward children. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now listen, this is the key. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Listen. Sometimes we struggle with God in our lives because we think he's withholding. But listen to the, just the fallacy of this idea. God crushed his own son and then he just wants to keep you for some pennies? Are you, are you hearing that? God laid the life of his own son down for you, the greatest value of all eternity, the, the greatest moment in all of history, the most profound limit of all time. He laid his son down for you, and you're going to question a few cents? If God gave you the best of thing, he would never withhold the little things. He's not withholding from you. He's working out. His grace in you. And he's going, no, no, this is going to make you a better husband, a better wife, a more faithful follower of Christ. This is going to bring the glory of God to bear in the city through you. Nobody, nobody is going to be impressed if you have no suffering. But if you're suffering and you are still surrendered to Jesus, that impresses some people. And so then God's glory gets known. Listen, David feels like God has left him. Jesus actually experienced being forsaken. See, David was praying one kind of lament, but Jesus prayed the ultimate lament. David only felt like God was far. Jesus actually experienced his father as far. You have only 
felt like God is far, Jesus was actually forsaken by his Father so that you could know while you wait that you will never be forsaken. Some of you are called this morning to sing. And I don't mean sing with the worship, although yes, I mean sing with the heart. You can sing this morning and you don't need anything but this word and the nature of God in which it points. Because regardless of what you walk through, God has dealt bountifully with you. He loves you. He's for you. And maybe you need to repent this morning of complaint and criticism. Maybe this morning you need to come again and go, God, I, I, it's been a while since I've trusted you with this thing because it's been so painful. But I'm, I'm appealing again, God. And, and if I know you're a God of grace, I can appeal in boldness and then trust you with the answer. Some of you have been pushing God away for a, quite a long time. Some of you don't even know God. And so you have not been able to sing your entire life because your life has been a lament. It's trial by fire. At this point, there's no redemption. But Jesus was forsaken so that you would never be. Lord Jesus, teach us to lament, to take serious the things of our life. Grow us in capacity of joy and the capacity to sing. And we don't need new circumstances this morning. All we need is renewed trust of your word and your grace through Jesus. Pray in your name. Amen. Amen.